Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Hand or two along the way. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to turn to the word of the Lord. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. So I want to uh, teach from the subject, and this is a a perfect scripture that highlights the paradox of the Christian experience. Troubled, my subject tonight is troubled, but not in trouble. Down, but not out. Okay, let's ask the blessing of the Lord on his word. Thank you, precious Savior. In the mighty name of Jesus, praise you for the power of the word of God. In Jesus' name, we pray and we trust in your presence in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. It is amazing, God. We must live. It is the will of God that we live in a continuous state of surprise that the excellency of the power is not of us, but of God. I surprised myself at the dentist's office the other day. I don't know him well. I mean, I know who he is. He knows me. He's been going there for years. But uh, somehow we talked about clutter and how uh, I'm, I'm a clutter eliminator. If I, ha- if I haven't used it, in a few years, I don't want it. I'm ready to get rid of it. And he seemed to be a clutter collector. And he said, you know, I, I, have a, I just gave away a sport coat that my mother made me in 1974. I said, really? First of all, I'm surprised a man could even still wear it. Secondly, he said, and I have an old Hawaiian shirt that I wear once in a while. Came from Hawaii. And uh, 
And when the occasion fits, I, I still wear it to this day. I thought, hmm, interesting. I said, you, and then all of this, I don't know what prompted me to say it. I said, you probably have an old VW bus, don't you? The, the assistant looked at him. He said, as a matter of fact, I do. I thought to myself, is that some kind of a spirit of prophecy or was it just a lucky guess? And then he showed me pictures of it, vintage, I mean, beautiful VW bus, just like the old times. But I was surprised. These are the kinds of things that we want to cultivate, right, in our relationship with God. It would have been a whole lot better if I was to say, with thus saith the Lord. Amen. You have a VW bus. But I didn't, I couldn't, because it was just conversational. But here's the thing about the relationship that we have with God and the Spirit. You have to be prepared to be surprised. Amen. Now, I want to go through these, these words, troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. So from a newspaper article, uh, it read like this. I'd like to quote, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One moment he was perched peacefully in his cage. The next moment he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. He goes on to say the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the, uh, the attachment on the end and put the hose in there and was working it around when the phone rang. And so she picked up the phone but forgot to turn the vacuum cleaner off. So one thing led to another. When she got off the phone, Chippy was gone. So she assumed that Chippy had been sucked into the vacuum. So she opened the vacuum cleaner, tore open the bag, and there was Chippy. You know, stunned, but still alive, dust covered. So now the owner was panicked, so she took the little parakeet to the, to the bathroom sink and, and washed him off with water, and then he started to get cold, and then she was worried that he was going to catch cold, so she said, I need to dry him off, so she got the blow dryer, blow dried him, and a week or two later, the reporter that was doing the story contacted her back, said, say, how's Chippy doing these days? And the owner said, well, he doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> when you've been sucked in, washed up, blown over, uh, it, you have the tendency not to sing too much anymore. Unless you have... This treasure in earth, earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power, this is how God has chosen to demonstrate his surpassing power. And that is to subject us to circumstances that otherwise would be too much for us. 
so that it is not us that is sustaining ourselves, but it is the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Ghost that is inside of you. Amen. Somebody know what I'm talking about? So I want to say this. If you've been sucked in, washed up, blown over, don't let it steal your song. Don't let it rob you of your confidence in God. It is not an indicator that God gave up on you. It's an indicator that God is showing the devil and all the world. The Bible says, Paul said, we are made a spectacle under the world, under angels, and I believe he's talking about demons, and under men. In other words, God wants to demonstrate his power, surpassing power in your life. And the only way that he can really do that is to subject you to some stuff that you might not understand. So in these four images, uh, Paul is really, he's really kind of, you know, he's, he's showing us his, his, his life. And he's not pretending to be some kind of a superhero. I know that we have a tendency to put the apostles in a category of sort of being some kind of superheroes. But Paul never seemed to suggest that. He said, we're persecuted. We're beaten up. We're, we're, we, we're, we're in trouble. But, but, but somehow, God sustains us in all of this. He kind of portrays himself as, you know, as, as, as Rocky when he's being pounded. And, and, and just somehow stays on his feet and can't even understand why he's still on his feet until he realizes it is because of the glory. It is because that I have a treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency, see the word excellency means excelling, that the excelling power, that the supreme power the power greater than all of the power might manifest itself in my life. Praise God. Somebody needs to praise the Lord for the excellency of the power. Verse 7 in the Amplified Bible reads like this. However, we possess this treasure, the divine light of the gospel, in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. So then, turn to your neighbor and say, be careful not to take the credit for your successes. There are times in our lives where we can't even figure out how we live through that deal. It is at times like that that we need to remember to give God the glory. If we take the glory and we pretend that, you know, I got this, all you're really asking for, more trouble. Because God is going to demonstrate in your life that your strength is Christ in you. That the reason why you're still standing is not because of your strength, but because his glory is inside of you. I don't want to take the I don't want to take the credit for when God brings me through an ordeal. 
that really he deserves the credit because I have no earthly idea how I ever survived uh, such a thing. So we're troubled but not distressed. Troubled. Scripture tells of a time when they would gather on the steps of the pool to wait for the angel of the Lord to trouble uh, the waters. And that the first one that would step in after the angel broke the surface tension of the water. Sometimes in order to have the right kind of, you know, look, you, if you throw seeds on hard, parched, uh, uh, un, uncultivated soil, you'll be lucky if you get any kind of a, of a harvest at all. Because the soil, the surface tension of the soil needs to be broken in order to receive. And sometimes God visits us with trouble in order to open up the pores, as it were, of our spirit man to permit the power to permeate. I don't want God to bounce off of me. Now, there's been times, I'll be honest, when others were getting a great blessing, and I was just kind of standing there going, huh? Where are you, God? It's like he bounces off of you. And when that happens, you need to dig up, right, break up the fallow ground and give God a point of entry. You see, we, we, want, we want the exceeding greatness of his glory without any troubles. We want the church to be the trouble-free zone. But when you look in the Bible, there's nowhere that guarantees such a thing. Jesus said, in this world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So somehow, our emotional state needs to transcend our circumstances. As we're not, a, we are not, we that are born again are not creatures of time and circumstances. But we are citizens of eternity. And we belong to the realm of, the, of faith and the possibilities of faith that can come into our lives. We need to be careful not to agree with our negative circumstances. I'm an, I see every hand raised, even though none of you will raise your hand over this. But you know, this is true. Have you ever been hurt or had gone through something that's difficult, right? And then so you spend all this energy trying to convince your friends and family members how bad that was, how mean the devil is, how painful that circumstance was. And if we're not careful, now... I, I'm not saying that you need to just deny reality, but we always need to place our descriptions of the negative things that happen to us in proper contrast. It's okay to say I'm persecuted, right? It's okay to say I'm perplexed, but not in despair. In other words, okay, I've had a bad go of it, but let me tell you, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because faith does not agree with the circumstance. Faith agrees with the promise. 
And if we find ourselves in more agreement, if we find ourselves more anointed rehearsing what went wrong, rather than the anointing should come, and when I say anointing, I mean animated in this case. Our animation should come from describing the promise that's connected to the circumstance. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. I don't have two dimes to rub together, but I have a promise in the word of God that somehow God's going to make a way for me. So in order to receive the miracle in the days that Jesus brought a miracle to the man waiting at the edge of the pool, they had to permit their world to be troubled by uh, the angel. And when the angel troubles, it breaks the surface tension. And sometimes trouble does just exactly that. It shakes us and wakes us so that we don't just live a zombie-like experience and just, you know, just, you know, just like a robotic, you know, life that has no, no, no God sense about it. So it's okay to be perplexed. It's not okay to be perplexed and be in despair. Here's the thing. The logical connection to, to being perplexed, which is, really means to be filled with uncertainty, to be dumbfounded, to be overwhelmed, right? Now, the natural, the logical consequence of being dumbfounded is, is to be like, ah, what do, what do we do? What do we do now? This is the same, tw- twice this word for perplexed is used in the New Testament. Here, and then in John 13, where Jesus told them, he said to them, there is one among you here that's going to betray me. And the Bible said, they looked at one another. Did I? What? What? Could it be me? Same word for perplexed. It means at a loss to know. It's okay to be at a loss. It's okay to be at your wit's end. But it's not okay to give in to despair. So God connects these extremes that uncertainty should not be connected to despair, but it should be connected to faith, hope, love, some divine uh, uh, component uh, that you wouldn't naturally do. But the work of the Spirit is to do just that. Abraham, in the, in the book of Hebrews 11, he was told by God to go out and look for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And he said, whatsoever the sole of your feet shall tread, that I will give it to you. And Abraham went out not knowing. Not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where to go, but he knew what to do. Did you know you can be going and not know where you're going, not know where you are, but know what to do? 
Now, if you're in a rescue situation, if your plane goes down in the woods, they say, mine never has and I hope it never does for either me or you. Stay where you are. That's what they say. Don't go wandering, looking for help. Stay right where you are. Let somebody try to find you, okay? So I don't know where I am. I'm the lone survivor here. But they say, stay where I am at. Wait for help to come. Now, take it to the spirit realm. You might not have a clue what's going on in your life. You don't have to know where you are to know what to do. Well, what do I do when I don't know where I am? Believe the word of God. Believe the promises that God has given you. Hallelujah. Some of you have got the Sergeant Schultz syndrome. I know nothing. You don't have to know everything. You just have to have faith. So the scripture says, uh, again in the book of Corinthians, we know in part, watch this, and we prophesy in part. I feel like the Lord gave this to me personally to share with you, and that is this. The gifts of the Spirit are not designed to operate in a frictionless life. It's okay to just know a little bit. Let me put it this way. It's okay not to know anything. You don't have to have knowledge for God to use you. You don't have to understand the layout for God to use you. As a matter of fact, we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's almost a principle. You're never going to have a perfect setup to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. You're going to have just enough. Amen, to take that leap of faith and let God use your prayer or use your word or use your touch. Come on, somebody give the Lord some praise right now in Jesus' name. So therefore, you, you, you can be sick and pray for somebody else and they can be healed. Where in the Bible does it say that you have to be healthy in order for your prayer to be able to work in someone else who's, it doesn't say it. You can know... I don't, I don't know about me. I don't know. I don't know about what's wrong. But I know this. The word of God says, uh, amen, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Come on, now that's a source of consolation. I don't have to have it all worked out. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So life is complicated. The very physical phenomenon, of, I want to say this. Faith is designed to work kind of like a kite is designed to fly. Don't listen. If you tell a little kid, we're going to go fly a kite today, first check to be sure the wind is blowing. Don't, don't disappoint him again. Well, check, because you can't, a kite has no lift if it has no resistance. And so we want lift without resistance. But God has designed 
your tongue to be a rudder. To give direction to the ship. And that, that metaphor was given at a time where there were no diesel engines. It was sails. And did you know that a sailing ship can sail against the wind? Did you know that the wind can be blowing this way and the ship can go that way? A sailboat. Now, I can't do it directly. But it does it by tacking back and forth. Let me pretend like I know. I want nothing to do with all I've ever seen about sailors. It's a lot of work. There are no lawn chairs on those sailboats. It's nothing but action. But my, my point is this. You ready for this? The wind can be fiercely howling and resisting you, but you have a rudder. You need to speak into that wind in the name of Jesus. I'm coming for your promises of God. Every devil in hell better move out of my way. I feel the resistance that's coming against me and my family, but I'm not gonna succumb to the pressure and to the negative forces because I have a God and I know in whom I believe and I'm heading up your street, devil, and I'm gonna knock on your door and I'm gonna take you out. Woo, hallelujah. But if you, if you use your tongue and say, we're all goners, you'll get an applause from hell because you'll make hell rejoice over you because that's exactly the kind of response that, see, so, 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 so like a kite, like a ship, a sailing ship, designed to use even the contrariness of the wind to gain lift. Did you know life is like that? Um, there's a word, a second law of thermodynamics is captured by this one word called entropy. It's a weird word. I don't like words that don't have the kind of like the picture of what it is inside of it. Well, unless you know something about Greek, it means almost nothing. But, but what it really means is basically this. All of the material existence is running down. Do you know why you homeowners go to Home Depot all the time? Because your house wants to fall down. It's just saying, please, let me go. I'm tired of standing like this. And you go, no, I got a two before. We're, we're, we're jacking up the foundation. You're not going yet. And, 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 and home ownership is basically a constant struggle against entropy. And that is all of material existence wants to just become dust. And did you know that life Living things, all the biological world is, it is a power that resists entropy. We did a pretty good job until we were about 30 or so years old. Then we started heading down. I mean, we were climbing 13, 14, 15. 
How deep the ditch do you want? How long? A hundred feet? Okay, boss, I got it. Now I don't even want to pick up a piece of paper off the floor. <laughs> Some of you young folk, come on. You know, the older I get, the more respect I have for the elders. Because we fight it. Life fights it, fights it, fights it, fights it. But then it starts to t- start to get the edge. And then the next thing you know, a little, slowly, slowly, hopefully, real slow, slower than it's been going. So life fights against this universal second law of thermodynamics. How does it do it? It needs a constant input of energy. That's how it's done. How do the plants spring up out of the soil? Sun gives them energy. Soil provides nutrients, right? How do people keep going? Food. See how long you can go without food. Probably a lot longer than we think, but not long because you need energy to resist the pressure. If you don't get food, then you'll eventually break down and you'll succumb. So it takes an input of energy. What am I trying to say here? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The secret to our sustainability. The secret to being able to triumph over persecutions, over, over, over attacks, over enemy, uh, over trying to overwhelm us, is the input of the power. That's why we have to have a constant relationship and a constant infusion of the presence of God flowing into us to give us strength so that we can be sustained amid the challenges of life. Praise God. Praise God. So I, you know, God began the creation scenario where his presence hovered over chaos. And the earth was void and without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. God's spirit hovered over, I guess, the fundamental particles of nature, the thing that the universe is made of, when it was reduced to its absolute lowest place, the Spirit of God hovered over it. And then God began to speak to the chaos. And with the spoken word, all of a sudden, he said, let there be light. There was light. Let the firmament separate the waters above from the waters below. And let the planets And let the stars. And so all of the organization that still exists in the universe today came from the presence of God hovering and the word of God speaking. And if it worked, if it worked for the material creation, it will work for your life. I don't care how broken down you are. I don't care how set back you are. I don't care how overwhelmed you are. I don't care how under attack you are. What you need is the presence of God above you and the word of God coming out of you. And if you let that happen, God can begin to order your world into some semblance of structure and meaning and purpose. 
Put your hands together. Hallelujah. Speaking, you got to speak, speak. The, 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 a prayer, a prayer, to have a prayer life is to have a life of prayer. Some people think to have a prayer life is to, to dedicate 30 minutes or an hour a day to, to talking to God. Well, that's part of it, but that's not, it's not the real essence of it. A prayer life is to have a life of prayer. Did you know that praying is, is a system that God has designed where we can exchange? Prayer is an exchange. How many's ever traded in a car? You know, nobody's been, I, they make us feel like we got a good deal, but we know, we know. You're in business to make money. Off of both ends of the deal. And they have to, okay, or they go out of business. But, but here's the thing. You can bring him your brokenness. See, it's, it's beauty for ashes. It's oil of joy for mourning. When you go to God in prayer, why don't you look at it like this? I bring God my stuff. He takes it from me. He gives me his stuff. If every time we went to God, we saw it that way, I bring him my pain. I bring him my fear. I bring him my hurt. And he gives me hope, promises, joy. Who, who would not want to pray in a setup like this. Hallelujah. So greater is he. So we are, okay, we are troubled. That means that we're troubled also could mean hard pressed. Somebody say Pressure. The NLT version says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. Pressed, but not crushed. My grandson loves these little Jolly Ranchers along with myself. But they're too big to hand him a whole one, so somebody's got to snap it. And so now I know why I was able to take beer bottle caps off with my teeth when I was a teenager. So I, so I could snap these things and give. But one of these days it's going to come back to get me. I know. The Lord's already told me. Watch it. You can only put pressure like that for so long. Remember the submarine disaster that just happened? I mean, you know. First of all, okay, I don't want to, this is a loss of human life and a lot of pain is ever connected. I don't want to make light of it. But I could think of a whole lot better things to do with a quarter of a million dollars than somebody lure me down to a wreck that I could see with a, on a documentary a whole lot more than looking through a little portal like this. I'm going to tell you, I've been, I've been to Antarctica, I've been to the top of Mount Everest, I've been to 
Death Valley, I've been. You know, hardly know where we have been. On a video. No worry, no fear, no danger, not much cost. All it costs me is a bag of popcorn. I'm good to go. I can go to the top of Mount Everest. People spend $100,000 to go. And in this case, it was $250,000 to go down. However many feet it was, 10,000 feet. I don't know, more. I don't know what it was. It seemed like it was a couple miles. But what happens is, when a tank like that is sent down, the pressure, you know this, the pressure uh, of the ocean above is so great that they said that that little tube that was about the size of, a, of the church van that had five people in it was, was bearing up against a force like having the entire Eiffel Tower standing on top of it. Thousands of tons of, of, of pressure like this. Just so, so it's happened to submarines. It's happened to diving uh, situations where they reach a crush depth where the structure cannot withstand the pressure. And in a case like this, that's what happened. It just, it didn't explode, it imploded. So here's what the writer said. We are hard pressed, but not crushed. Now how can we be under pressure, but not crushed? Simple. You got to have more pressure on the inside of you than on the outside. You got to have more from the inside pushing out than what's on the outside pushing in. Reminds me of a verse. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. That's why we get in the word. That's why we come to the house of God, to intensify the pressure that is on the inside so that he's always greater on the inside than the enemy is on the outside. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me, let me quickly run through this and we'll wrap it up. Uh, secondly, we are perplexed but not in despair. Okay, perplexed. Perplexed, as I said, means not knowing. Just not, just, huh, what? God will bring every one of us to the limits of our understanding. Has anyone ever been brought to the limit of your understanding where you say, But when, see, when you get to the limits of your understanding, it is there that you can experience the peace of God that does what? Passes all understanding. Now, you said you've been brought to the limits of your understanding. If you've been brought to the limits of your understanding, then suddenly realize, had it not been for the Lord who was in my life, I would have gone mad. Perplexed but not in despair. Thirdly, we are persecuted. That means chased, but not abandoned. This is like a hunter that's pursuing a prey. 
Right before church, I'm walking out the door when I hear my name being called by my beloved wife. And she said, there's a lizard in the house. And so I come around the corner. There it is. What does it do? It goes right under the couch, of course. Move the couch. It goes under the coffee table. I thought, okay, this could go on all night. And I said, I'll get to it when I get home. No, 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 no. She said, when I called you, you could have got it. It was in the wide open. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the hunt was on. We won't go through the gory details of it, but I got him. I had to use a tool. I had to have a stick. I had to have reach. But let me tell you something. I don't know, you know, I hear of people that have conspiratorial thoughts sometimes that think they're being followed. You ever heard of that? I know we're being followed. I know... Hey, the devil, as of a roaring lion, is going around on the prowl looking for who he can devour. Hey, make no mistake about it. You're being hunted by the enemy. But the good news is, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So, so... (laughs) They got to get, he's got to get past goodness and mercy, praise God. And really, mercy will about stop him every time because he usually likes to follow the trail of your mistakes. And he follows the footprints of your errors. And he has you convinced that you've done bad and God doesn't care and there's no hope. But if you'll just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Please forgive me for all my stupidity of my past. Guess what? Mercy will take him out way back yonder. He'll never catch up to you. So we, we are, we are, we are being chased. And, uh, but in, in, the, in the realm of the Spirit of God, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 16 and 9, a door of effective work has opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of adversity. Behind the door of opportunity is a spirit sent from hell to try to stop you right there at the threshold from going through. This is why so many people get close to giving their lives to God but they don't step in to the promise because a spirit stops them right at the door because the devil knows if he can get you at the door. You ever see these people that go up on a bungee jump deal and they get way up there on the, on the thing and they, they look and they go, ah, 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 ah. 
And there's a hundred people on the ladder behind him. And there's nowhere to go but down. Don't let the enemy stop you at the threshold of the encounter with God that God has designed for your life. I want us to stand. And then he says, we are struck down and not destroyed. So I brought my little baseball bat. I left it in my car. I forgot to bring it in. I was going to use it tonight. I was going to swing it. Not that long. Paul, do you remember when we had that party? That guy yelled at me across the street, and I ran out there to respond to the challenge, and he, <laughs> I only saw stars one time, and that was it. And he got me, man. He got me good with one of those little ones. He was hiding it. And I'm going. But he never hit me again. Then when I, when I looked up, my oldest brother was lunging at him through the air with four, hands out, feet in the air. Grabbed him. And we all had afros back then, big hair and all that stuff. He grabbed two handfuls of hair and went, ah! And that guy looked like the Three Stooge guy with part of his hair. I'm running out down the street screaming. So it says we are, we are hit. We are pounded. But we're not, we're, we're not thrown down. We, are, we're, we may be down, but we're not out. You want to know why? Hard hits. No matter how hard hell hits you, it cannot destroy you. You want to know why? You're worth fighting for. You have a Savior who'll jump in when you can't fight for yourself because you are worth fighting for. Oh, I want you to lift your hands. Let's just gather in the front right here and praise him. Praise him because he fought for us. He fought for us in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. When you can't fight for yourself, when you can't hold your own head up, when you've been beaten, when you've been knocked down, thank God he comes to the rescue. Oh, hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost. Pray for your neighbor right now. Lay a hand on their shoulder. Pray for them. God will fight for you. God has fought for us when we gave up on ourselves, when we threw in the towel, when we said, I'm over, it's done. I can't do it. Jesus came. Hallelujah. 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 Precious God, in the name of Jesus. Come on, Lord. Come to our defense. Come to our defense. Strike a blow in the enemy's face. Stop him dead in his tracks. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.